All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalm 42 and 43, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for um, just your word. We rest upon it, we rely upon it, we study it, we meditate upon it, and um, it never returns void. It always accomplishes what you set it out to do in our lives and in the world. Um, It either convicts us or encourages us or just instructs us, and we love that. And so we thank you for it. We thank you for giving it to us, and we pray that we be healed today as we go through these two um, beautiful songs um, that the sons of Korah wrote, um, of two of many, but um, they come from men that are devoted to you, that loved you, and were able to express it and, uh, and, and give us these songs to sing also alongside of them. And I love that about people, Lord. Thank you for the gifts you give people to put into words the things that we're feeling. And um, I just pray that you'd help us to receive everything you have for us this morning in this text. Um, it isn't by accident that we're reading these two um, today, especially on uh, this beautiful weekend of independence. And um, um, we just pray that you'd help us to receive all that you have. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't signed your kids up for camp, this is the... Uh, the day to do it. Uh, we need those in today if we can. So please fill those out and drop them in the box back there so we're ready for that. End of the month, we have our baptism with grace out at uh, Mazingo. So if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've never been water baptized and you want to do that, that's an excellent time to do it. We'll meet out there after second service at one o'clock. They're bringing up their food truck, a taco truck, and they're going to feed us and we're going to provide the drinks and we'll just have this wonderful joint service. So um, I already have a couple people that want to be baptized, but if you're another one, let me know so I know and can plan on you, and uh, and we'll do that. Psalm 42 is, uh, a lot of songs have been written about it, but one very famous one, it's, um, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after you, and it goes on from there. These, this second book in Psalms, this is the second of three, um, is written by the uh, the sons of Korah. We're not exactly sure who they are. We, I'm going to guess it's Korah, the leader of the rebellion with uh, Moses. Uh, Moses was taking the children of Israel out of Egypt. They ran into some problems in the wilderness, is uh, mainly from their disobedience. And uh, along with that came the desire to go back to Egypt. And, and that represents the world. And of course, Korah was someone who didn't necessarily appreciate Moses' leadership and uh, was more than willing to take up that mantle and lead people back to captivity, lead them back into the world, back into Egypt. And uh, Moses, being the humble man that he was, said, let's just let God choose. I I didn't pick this. God picked me for my life to be this leader. But if you're the new leader, uh, let's let God decide that. And so they stood outside and um, waited for God to answer. And of course, the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and all of those in that rebellion. Um, But those who were missing, it seems, from that swallowing up were these children, his kids, three of them. We don't know why. We hear about them later on in the text, so we know that they didn't die in that moment. He didn't take his whole family with him. And so that makes these psalms, to me, more interesting than any of the others, because these are three boys that could be pretty bitter about what God had done to their dad, and yet from that judgment that their dad received from his worldliness, from his desire to lead people away from God and to the world, 
they came out of it with humility. And that humility is what produces these beautiful songs that they've written. There's no, uh, there's no wondering about what they believe or what's in their heart. In the Midwest, there are different cultures, obviously, within the United States, and I've been a part of several of those cultures. If you've been on the California coast, you know uh, the West Coast, you know that there's just a different culture out there. And, you know, we make fun of them and they make fun of us. We're flyover country and they're a bunch of, you know, nuts and fruits out there, basically. And, and But it's just two different cultures for the most part, a little more laid back in some ways. A lot of Californians have been up, you know, people that have been uprooted from their roots, obviously, and have transplanted there. So there aren't a whole lot of ties. There's a little more freedom out there than there would be here. We're here. If your family went to church, that's where you go to church, and that's where we go to church. We don't know why we go to church, but we go to church, you know, and it's very rooted. Two different kinds of things, different cultures, and of course, the East Coast has their own interesting way about them. With that Midwest mentality, though, with that heart, there's a lot of, we're stoic. Um, we're not as flamboyant in our uh, uh, praise and worship, you know, or uh, there is drama, but mainly with the younger crowd, right? The older crowd is a little more, we don't do that, you know, and life's hard. It's the way it's going to be, but we persevere through it and that's fine, you know, and we shouldn't expect anything less and praise the Lord, you know, kind of thing. Okay. And and so I'm kind of in the middle because I got uprooted from high school and went over to the West Coast and got crazy with the fruits and nuts out there and then came back here. And I, I appreciate the stoicism and the evenness, even keel. But I also like to get a little crazy. So sometimes I sit in the back and I'm back there and I'm worshiping, you know, oh God, if I did that in front, I don't know what would happen, you know. That being said, the stoicism although even keeled and appreciated, can often be a result from not dealing with a lot of things in their lives. They've accepted the hardship as this is the way it is. There is no hope. This is the way life is. And everybody needs to know this, and it's the hard truth. Well, we need to get our culture, Midwest, Fruits and Nuts West Coast, wherever you're from, We need to change our culture to have biblical culture because these guys are grounded men of God and yet they're sharing their emotions in song. David was probably the most Renaissance man in the former book, the first book of Psalms, was one of the most emotional guys you'll ever meet, but one of the greatest warriors you'll ever meet and one of the most powerful leaders you'll ever meet at the same time. That's balanced. We can become imbalanced. We can become too fruity and too nutty where all we do is share our emotions all day long and never deal with anything or never realize that we need to be mature. Or we can become so hopeless and become so stoic and so straight-faced and so it's just the way, you know, that we don't represent God very well either in either of those cases. These guys do. They begin to sing songs. They begin to open up about what they're praying to their God about. They begin to confess things about their heart, and they let God into their lives to heal them. They don't just callous over. I think that's our problem a lot of times is we just let things callous over, and then we hit it some more, and we let things callous over, but we never deal. 
We never let God do that work in our hearts so that we can still stay soft in our hearts towards the Lord. You know? And we see this. And it isn't necessarily maturity that causes the stoicism. It oftentimes can be just callousness. And we can become hard. Um, So when we hear these songs, a lot of times... The fruits and nuts can identify because they say, yes, as the deer pants for the water, you know. But for us in the Midwest, as the deer pants for the water, shoot him. He's standing still, you know, kind of thing. It's a different thought. It's a different mindset. We need to let God work in our hearts, we tough guys and tough gals out there who've had a hard life. It is difficult. We are pioneers, that land doesn't just produce for us. You work a, it's a lot more difficult, you know. But we still need to have that soft heart. So a contemplation of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? The psalmist here is trying to express out loud what the turmoil is in his heart. I have these prayers. I have these moments where I have these things that come into my life and I don't know why I'm stirred up. Sometimes I, I know why I'm stirred up, but other times I don't. I can feel myself just, there's a heaviness, there's a cloud, there's a fog, there's a whatever you want to call a darkness. And you don't know what it is, but you, you feel it nonetheless. And so you make these claims or these confessions to God. What is it? Why do I feel this way? And sometimes you have to go back through the last week and say, what is it? Did I have a conversation with somebody that I've forgotten about that really hit me hard and I'm not letting it go or whatever it could be? It can be a lot of different things. And usually God will show you, but this is the prayer you offer up to the Lord because he, know, he knows all. This psalmist understands that I pant for you. I thirst for God. My soul needs you because I can't figure this out on my own where many of us have learned to figure things out on our own, to do things by ourselves, to become self-reliant. I, I, I saw this shirt. I thought it was great. And, and then I didn't buy it because I thought, well, no, that's not exactly true. But it, I can understand the mentality behind it. It says, um, no one is coming. Expect to self-rescue. And the idea was, look, if you're going to go climb a mountain or something, or you're going to go into the wilderness, you better have everything you need to get yourself out of trouble because ain't nobody know you there. you're there, you know, is the idea. But then I got to think, if I wear that shirt as a pastor, that doesn't go really well because there is someone who comes to rescue us, and that's Jesus Christ. So I didn't buy the shirt. But I understood the mindset. Expect to self-rescue. And I think we've learned that, especially in our part of the country. We just self-rescue, you know. My son, Seth, he, he had a dead battery in his car, and they left early yesterday morning to go down to Oklahoma to spend time with the in-laws. In-laws. Always taking your kids from here, right? No, I'm just kidding. But they went. at 5.30 in the morning, well, I didn't see these texts, but I got up. Oh, whenever I got up, you don't need to know when I got up. But I got up, and I saw this text the feed from our family chat that we have. He's like, Dirk's family, wake up. Is anybody up? You know, five o'clock in the morning, 515. And I see the progression as Anna goes, what? (laughs) 
my car battery's dead. And she goes, I'm on my way. And she took a picture of herself. And she's got her hair down and she's driving like, you know, she's like, he goes, did you take that picture while you're driving? She goes, yes, there's nobody on the road this early in the morning. (laughs) And Seth responded, you're the brother I never had to her. (laughs) Because JC slept through the whole thing. And he's in town. So from Hopkins, Anna's driving all the way into town to jumpstart her brother's car. (laughs) My son needs to learn how to self-rescue, you know, learn how to jumpstart. I wake up a neighbor. It, It was funny. We learn how to, well, you need to have a, a, car, a battery charger in your garage, you know, or you need to do this or you need to do that. You learn how to do these things. As an adult, you grow up and you're like, oh, man, I mean, you better figure it out. He didn't do anything wrong. It was wonderful that he did that and that Anna drove in. But this psalmist is rescuing himself. He's going to the only source that he can go to. I need help. I'm disquieted within me. My soul there's something wrong. And so he says, I'm panting for you. There's a couple verses I want to read to you. It's Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the question is for all of us this morning, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness in your life? Is it a thirst? Not a requirement, not an expectation, but is it a thirst? Oh, I want righteousness in my life. Oh, I'm so starving for righteousness in my life. Oh, that's the idea. Oh, I want righteousness in my life. The psalmist desires that. In John seven thirty seven, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. If you thirst for righteousness, there's a source for it. And that's through Jesus. And so you cry out to him, and this guy is. These sons of Korah are crying out. John 4, 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. You're looking for water from the well, he says to this woman, but I've got water, living water, that once you drink of this, you'll never need another drink again. And she's like, well, give me some of that water, and they go back and forth a little bit. There is that desire in the believer of Jesus Christ that should be there anyway, a hunger and a thirst for him. Something like a deer that's absolutely out of water. This morning we got up and we didn't check our tanks, our livestock tanks yesterday. And they're pretty usually, you know, we do it about every other day. But yesterday we didn't and it was the day to do it. So we woke up this morning in a hurry. Like we we still have all the chores you have to do before church and um, milk and do all these things. And I see the two calves over here. They're not so much calves anymore, but they're calves and they're over there. And they're just looking at us. I'm like, and they're standing by the tank. I'm like, okay, it's got to be dry, you know. Well, that's all these guys are doing. They're crying out to God, I'm thirsty. I'm so thirsty. And you're the only one that can supply it. And as a, you know, as you know, if you have a farm, you're the one that supplies that water. I mean, you can probably let them go into the ponds, but if they're on tanks, that's what you have to do. You have to supply it. These guys know where to get their water from. Oftentimes we're thirsty or we're dry or we're hungry because we've removed ourselves from where the water source is, from where the food source is. One of the prayers I have, you know, on our, on our group chat we have for those that serve here at Calvary, try to do a little devotional every morning and send it their way, weekdays anyway. Not, I'm, not, I'm pretty faithful, but not, some days I miss. But one of those things that comes up, and I think this will be Mondays, is to pray for those that have quietly just kind of walked away from the flock without fanfare. 
They're not being dramatic. They're not upset. They're not anything. They just seem to have wandered away from the source. Not that we're the only place, but they're not going anyplace else either. You know, I don't, you know, that's switching churches. That's up to you. But, um, but to not go at all to worship the Lord is a, is a, a, a decision to isolate yourself. And these folks here, whether it's just because life is hard and they're just extra thirsty or because they've removed themselves from God or his presence, they're thirsty and hungry. And so the question comes up, my, I've got tears and that's all I've had. And continue, where is your God? That's what my tears say. The trial is so heavy. I wonder where God is. And these are faithful people that know God. And so what they're doing here in this song is they're saying what's on their heart, but they're also going to talk themselves through it and out of it. I think that's the most important thing we can understand about the Psalms. We can talk ourselves into depression. We can talk ourselves into being miserable by going over and over and thinking about the worst. And it's the most horrible thing. And oh, what if this happens and then that's going to happen? And you know, these things just keep piling up and we start piling them up in our minds. And this is just too much and it's too heavy. And we talk ourselves into that. He's talking himself out of it. He's crying out to God. He's laying it out before him. I've got tears. I'm upset. My trials are difficult. I'm wondering where God is. When I remember these things, verse 4, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept um, a pilgrim feast. Why are you down or why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in the Lord, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. I used to go to church. I used to go and praise the Lord. I used to be happy when I went there, but not anymore. It's not happening anymore. There's a couple things that can keep us from the blessings of God or from God to minister to us. Sometimes we think we get, in the, uh, we get lazy with our spiritual walk and we think we can coast. And we do. Quiet times are really regimented and we're doing really well or we're going to church and we're really praying and we're seeking the Lord. We're having those times with our wives or with our husbands or with our kids and all these things. And, oh, things are going great. And, boy, you can just really, hey, how this is great. And then you coast and go a few days without. And that can get us into a place where we think either we don't need it or whatever. Um, we get hungry and we get thirsty and we're not exactly sure why. And if we're not careful, we don't go back to that spiritual well. We go to the worldly well because we're just depleted. And so we go back to old habits. And if we don't think about it, if we don't remember, we don't go back to God's word. We don't go back to prayer, quiet times, all those things that sustained us before. And we go back to what we used to know, the world, to get that refreshment. There's nothing refreshing about it. It's poison, you know. It's like being so thirsty in the middle of the ocean and drinking the ocean water, you know. It's not good. It's not going to help you. It doesn't hydrate. Well, that's his prayer. That's his concern. Where is your God? Well, now that I think about it, I remember these things. I used to pour out my soul with it. I used to go with the multitude. He's, he's working it through. He's going backwards. He's, uh, they call it reverse engineering your problem or reverse engineering whatever it is, you know. That's serial capture one of our drones and they'll reverse engineer it. They'll take it apart bit by bit and they'll say, oh, that's how they built it. And now we can build our own because we reversed engineered it. Sometimes we're in a dark place in our lives. You need to reverse engineer it. How did I get here? What's happened? 
And God will help you through that. His Holy Spirit will be your teacher and guide, and he'll begin to bring things to your mind. You're like, well, what does that have to do with it? Oh, because that was connected to that, and that caused me to do that. And you begin to reverse engineer it. Realize, oh, my goodness. No wonder. I'd be depressed, too, if I were me, you know, kind of thing. I remember, he says. That's a good thing to do is to remember. I used to pour out my soul within me, or I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. I used to make it a priority in my life. It used to be the most important thing. I used to realize that my relationship with God was more important than any other relationship in the world. And then it stopped. It's called backsliding a lot of times. We call it that. It's not the... It's not a great word to use because it doesn't help a lot of people. Backsliding is a, we use maybe in, the mid, in our area, a slippery slope, you know. Well, it's a slippery slope. Once you go there, you know. Well, that's what backsliding is. In Proverbs 14, 14, the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. It's exactly what we're talking about. A backslider has decided to turn his back to God. You don't say that out loud. You don't see, you're not like, I'm renouncing my faith in Jesus Christ and I'm walking towards the world. No, you just kind of quietly do a 180 and you're going back to old habits because that's what you know. And God will let you be filled with your way or you become filled with your way and that's what causes you to realize, I don't like this way anymore and I want to turn back to God. So the proverb is very careful, very concise, but to say you can backslide in heart, you'll be filled with your own ways, but you're good, and you'll, you know, you're, if you're a good man, you'll be satisfied from above. That's the idea in the, in the short, brief um, admonishment or um, uh, advice, turn back around and go back the way you came. Hosea 14 has a much more in-depth restoration for backsliding than the Proverbs. I'm only going to read the first four verses. But the whole chapter is relating to this. Speaking to Israel, O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifice of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our God's. For in you the fatherless finds mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. Very simple thing to do. Simple because it's not complicated. Simple, but not easy oftentimes. I don't want to make the mistake of thinking those are the same thing, simple and easy. Not necessarily. It can be an uncomplicated process to just turn around and walk back towards God, but it can be a difficult process for a lot of people to just turn their back on the world and their sin and everything that they're comfortable with and turn back to to the Lord. But it still needs to be done. It's a hard thing to do. I've I've done some interesting things in my life. One of them, and I brought it up many times, um, was bungee jumping and the hardest part about that was to let go of the railing. That's not a complicated thing to do. It's a very simple thing to do, but you'd be surprised how hard it is to do when you're leaning over and you're looking down with a rubber band strapped to your feet. And you got to do that and let go. That's the difference. That's what's happening here. For a person 
It's very, when we do an altar call, which we don't do very often here, but there's times when the Holy Spirit will, you know, move and we'll, we'll, we'll do that on a, in an afterglow or something, come forward. The hardest thing to do in an afterglow or when you're coming forward to the altar, coming forward to God, is to sit up, to stand up. It's not hard to do, but it's interesting, although it's a simple process, how difficult it is to stand up and take that first step. Or when you're asked, hey, if anybody wants to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and turn from their sins today, raise your hand. We do that all day long. We could raise our hand. It's hard, though. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I just need to return to that place where I was. And he calls us to that. And he's more than willing to receive us back. Verse 6. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. It's a confession. Why is my soul? Now he confesses. Oh Lord, it is. It's my soul. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of, of Hermon, from the hill, Mazar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I meet a lot of people that talk about the Lord everywhere I go, and you do too. And you wonder half the time, do you really have a relationship with Jesus, or are you just used to saying it, you know? A lot of people have an understanding that, yeah, Jesus is Lord, but he's not Lord of their lives. They'll say it. They understand what the scriptures say. They've grown up. They've been churched, but he's not Lord of their lives, yet they know he's Lord. So they can say that to you, but their life is obviously the evidence of, of the contrary. This guy says here, this, these sons of Korah, a prayer to the God of my life. I know that I've known God my whole life from my youth, from, from being a, a little kid growing up in a church, but I wasn't born again. I wasn't saved until I was 19 years old. I haven't had encounters with God. I've prayed to God. I had had uh, rescues from God. I can look back on my life and see all the times he entered my life and I entered his world too. But at no time was I committed to him that I ever give him my heart that I ever let him be Lord of my life. It wasn't until 19 years old that I decided to do that. So I can say, just like this guy says, that's been a prayer to the God of my life. He has always been my God. I just haven't always let him be Lord. There's a difference. And that's what he's getting to. I will remember the things you've done for me. I will remember the moments where you stepped into my life, the times you've rescued me. The times where I felt the closest to you. I remember those moments. That's what J.C. was praying, those Ebenezer stones. You know, God thus far. And that's what he's doing. And it's amazing how that will help you in your disquieted soul. Why is my soul downcast? Why do I feel this way today? Go over those things verbally, out loud. As Hosea says, bring words to God. Bring them. Don't just go to God. Go to God and bring your words with you. Begin to talk to him. That's what this guy's doing. This is a prayer to the God of my life. I remember what you've done for me in Hermon Hills at the hill Mizar. It's, it's amazing how you've stepped in. And all of a sudden he's finding himself not focusing on whatever it is that's causing him to be, be disquieted. But he's understanding that regardless of the situation, God never promised me a perfect life or a, a trial-free life. In fact, he promises the opposite of that, that you will have trials. 
You will have difficulties, but I will be with you is what he promises in all these things. And I think when our heart becomes disquieted and lonely is when we feel like he's not with us. So what he's doing here is he talks through this and reverse engineers it and begins to think about things. He begins to realize, no, God is with me and I'm with God. He begins to produce hope in his heart. This isn't forever. This isn't all there is. This isn't being forgotten or forsaken. In Genesis 49, verses 23 through 26, Joseph gets a prayer from his dad. Dad is going through all of the Isaac, or not Isaac, but Israel or Jacob is going through all of his sons and blessing them. And this is what he has for Joseph. Joseph had a, you want to talk about being wronged. If you don't know the story of Joseph, you'll have to look it up. We don't have time today to go over the whole thing. But he was forsaken by his brothers. He was put in prison without cause. Lived in Egypt most of his adult life. And this is the prayer from his dad. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. He's had his trials. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father have Excel the blessings of my ancestors. Up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of his head of him who was separate from his brothers. He was absolutely in the worst place. None of us have found ourselves in that condition. You may be close. Maybe none of your family members want to talk to you or understand you or but they probably haven't thrown you in a pit and sold you to a slave trading caravan is my guess. You know, that's what happened to Joseph. They were going to kill him, but they decided to make some money off of him instead. So Joseph was truly trafficked (laughs) and sold. And God used that. He had a choice, didn't he? Be depressed, talk yourself out of it, talk yourself into it, make it worse, make it worse. Or he can live for God regardless of the situation and circumstances around him, which he did. Whatever he did, he blessed the Lord and brought God glory in all that he did, even in his imprisonment and his enslavement. He brought God glory. And he let God. It's a tough thing. Probably a lot of innocent people in jail. It's hard to think about. But there probably are. For the most part, we assume there's a lot of guilty people in jail. And we're probably right there, too. But in that mix, certainly we've gotten some things wrong. And there they sit in jail. And that can be overwhelming sometimes, you know. That's why our justice system works the way it does. We can get frustrated with it sometimes as people who want to see justice now and quickly. But it works slowly. And it's designed to let more guilty people off than it is to imprison innocent people. That's why it works the way it works. It's supposed to be that way. Because it's far more difficult to swallow and understand and accept that an innocent person spent their entire life in jail for something they didn't do. Regardless, though, 
and this is what I'm getting at with Joseph, is Joseph was someone who was imprisoned without cause or unjustly accused, and yet still brought, brought God glory, still used it, still ministered, still did strive for excellence. How do you strive for excellence as being, I'm the best prisoner you've ever seen? You know, he was a humble person. That helps. This psalmist is trying to talk himself out of it, talk his way through it, and rely on God. And God is doing this. God is saying, why don't you think about the things I've done? I've asked you to do that. When you're in trouble, I want you to think about the blessings that you have. I want you to think about the things you're thankful for. I want you to go there and not the place that you tend to go, which is the dark places of your life. And you can talk yourself out of it. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of, of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my, enemy reproaches, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where's your God? Why are you cast down, O oh, oh my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And the answer, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. It's an honest confession. Why have you forgotten me? It feels like you've forgotten me. I don't feel the successes. I don't feel the victories. I think that's a good, um, it's a good estimation of where he is. I feel like I should have victory. I'm told I'm supposed to have victory in Christ. It's not what we think a lot of times. What he's doing is here is meditating. These are meditating. He's uh, you know, we talk about meditation, and uh, it can get a little squirrely in, in church because people, we automatically think of meditation as maybe a, an Eastern mysticism or something like that. It's using, but it's not. It's, it's biblical to meditate, um, to meditate upon God's Word, to meditate on things that are lovely and beautiful and, and things. We're supposed to meditate on those things. It simply means think on them and enjoy them. It, it isn't really even uh, contemplate. Contemplation means figuring things out and working out problems. I contemplate a lot. You know, I think we all do. This is meditating. This is just resting in those beautiful things that God has done or brought into our lives. It could be your wife, could be your husband, could be your kids, grandkids. Um, someone wrote down uh, in, our, in our devotional uh, pink roses, you know, something as simple as that. Um, beautiful. In Psalm nineteen fourteen, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Kind of a different take on it. I'm responsible for what I meditate on. If I'm whirling out of control in anxiety or whatever, I'm responsible for that. The psalmist here says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Maybe that's a question we ask ourselves. What I'm thinking about right now, is that acceptable to God? Is it pleasing to him? Does it bring him glory? Is he pleased with it? Because you're my strength and my redeemer. Psalm 104, 34. May the meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. In other words, my meditation is an act of worship. Is it pleasing to God the way I'm meditating, the way I'm thinking about things? Am I pleasing the Lord with my meditations that I have? Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love your law or the word or the Bible. It is the meditation. It is my meditation all the day. 
always helps. Meditating on these things. Meditating on God's word. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that it is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. We're called to it, meditating on his word all the time. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Don't let it depart from your heart. Genesis 24, 63, this is in action. Isaac is waiting for the helper to return with his bride, not knowing it's Rebecca, not knowing if he's going to be pretty or anything. Truly trusted in the Lord and let dad send out a helper to go find him a bride, an arranged marriage. And this helper shows up at Rebecca's house and says, will you come with me? And she says, I'll go with you. Faith. You know? And she's got to be thinking, well, she doesn't have to be thinking. I know what I would be thinking all the way home. And I know what Isaac's thinking in the field here. It says, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. You know, you know what you're thinking, right? Now, I know what I would think carnally as a fleshy person. Oh, she's pretty. You know? Oh, let her be quiet and not a, not a loud mouth. Or whatever, you know, or whatever he wants, or, or let her be a loud mouth and not a quiet person. I don't know what he likes, but that's probably not what he was meditating on, though. He had probably let go of it a long time ago and was just praying, oh, and it's probably excited. Here's what God has for me. What a great way to receive whatever he has for you without even opening the present. Thank you for this gift. I haven't opened it yet, but I'm sure it's exactly what I need and what I want. And I know it's from you, so it's going to be perfect because it's from you. So although I'd like to put myself in Isaac's shoes and make him think what I'm thinking, I bet he wasn't thinking what I would think. I bet he was thinking just something by faith. God, here she is. He came back, and, and she's, I can't believe my bride is coming. I can't wait to meet her. And Rebecca, like to put ourselves in her shoes. Oh, I hope he's not ugly, you know. I hope he's as rich as this guy says he, he is, you know, because he gave her all that gold when he met her. That's not what she was thinking either, though, I'm sure. She's probably like, here it is. This is it. I placed my, hand, my, my life in your hands, God. And whoever it is that I'm going to meet here, this is my husband. This is the one for me. This is the one you have for me. They have no idea whether their personalities are the same, if they have anything in common other than this guy, you know, this helper. But regardless, they know that this is the one for them. I just... There's a lot there when it says that Isaac went out to meditate. That's probably what his common practice was. Every night he would go out and he'd sit there and he'd just meditate on the Lord and think about the things of God. And as he looked up during that time, during his quiet time with God, he sees the camels coming. He's like, thank you. You know, thank you, God. It's wise. It's wise. It brings peace. Now, Psalm 43 is very short. And we believe it's part of 42, but may not be. In some books that it is, it doesn't matter. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against the ungodly nation, against an ungodly... O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? You know, he's being honest and he's opening his heart. 
but he's going to heal himself. He's going to talk. Not, you know what I mean by that? I don't mean that he's bringing it with like inner healing. I, I hope it doesn't come across that way. But he's not being disobedient to God's word by not meditating, by not seeking the Lord. He's doing what God's word says in the midst of his trial and his difficulty, and it does heal you. He's being obedient to what the word tells him to do. And so it is in our hands as to how we're going to deal with the trials and tribulations in our lives. Do I cling to God? Do I walk towards God? Or do I walk to the world and leave God? So when I say that he's self-rescuing or that he's healing himself, that's what I mean. He's being obedient to the word. I need vindication. I have an ungodly nation that's winning against me. And you're the God of my strength. Why are you casting me off? I certainly don't feel strong. I feel like I'm losing the battle. My strength is little and I'm not having victory in my life. Verse 3, oh, send out your light and your truth. Mm. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God of my exceedingly my exceeding joy. And on the harp, I will praise you, oh God, my God. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him the help of my countenance and my God. You can see why they think it's a part of 42. This is very similar language. His solution to his problem, where are you? Why am I not having victory? Why do I have little strength? Is to hope, to ask God for light and truth, to go before him, that he might be guided by it, that he might be able to find his way out and back to, because he realizes I'm not where I'm supposed to be in my heart. Lead me towards you and not away from you. And that is something that we choose as believers to do. And that's where we close today. Well, we thank you for your word. It's very clear. We thank you for these sons of Korah. Having a dad that was so rebellious against you and against the leadership that you raised up over him, they learned and they did better. And they were humbled by it. And they're not following that way. They're following your way. And they're writing these beautiful songs. They know what to do. Lord, we know what to do. We know how to counsel ourselves because your word is our counsel. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. And oftentimes we just don't want it. We'd rather have someone to cry with as opposed to help us through it, to get over it, to get out of it. So God, help us to be obedient to your word, to begin to meditate on the things that you've done for us and that you are our help and our guide and that although we're in the valley of death, you're going to be with us. You're going to guide us, and we're going to get through it, and our hope is in you. It's not hopelessness. We don't have that. We have hope. That's why we look to you this morning. We're excited about celebrating Independence Day. We're excited about this wonderful holiday where this country was birthed out of a group of people that desired to have freedom and liberty and equality. And we live in a country that's striving for that, is doing well, better than any other country in the world because you're our God. It isn't about the Declaration of Independence. It's about you and our desire for you. You bring liberty. You bring equality. You bring peace. And so that's where we're here this morning. We may be disquieted at times with the way the world is going or with the people around us or the enemy having victory over us at times, it seems. But we know what to do. We know there's hope, and that's what we rest in. That's what we look to. So, Lord, I pray that you bless us this weekend. 
As we celebrate what happened, we pray that, Lord, as we continue our lives and live our lives, that it would be happening in our lives, God. Um, that wouldn't be a historic event, but it'd be a life lived. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week and enjoy your fourth.